This podcast is recorded on the traditional and unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, Tsleil-Waututh, and Coquitlam peoples. British Columbia, I've seen your mountains high, seen your pretty rainbows and your blue crystal skies, watched your winding rivers as they flow around the bend. To me, you're not a stranger, you'll always be a friend. Coming to you from the West Coast, this is Politicos. Today is February 16th, 2023. I'm Scott Delenderboom. And I'm Ian Bushfield. Welcome back, Scott. We missed you last week. Thanks, and uh, thanks, Alex Lazenby, for uh, filling in for me last week. Uh, work has got me uh, travel a little more than uh, previous job did, and uh, appreciate everyone who's uh, stepped in to help uh, keep the podcast going uh, while that happens. Yeah, we're hoping to get more guests on. We'll hopefully have Alec back to bring us that insight from inside the legislature. But we're also looking to diversify the number of voices we have on here. So if you have ideas for guests, you can send them to us, podcast at politicoast.ca. Uh, you can get at us on Twitter, but I don't think either of us are actually checking Twitter I have, that much these days. Yeah, basically been off Twitter for the last like three months and uh, would highly recommend it's a, a load off one's mind. I check in through the desktop every few days and then I'm like, oh, there's two or three DMs and some most of those I just ignore because it's like those random people who just tweet you their tweets or DM you their tweets. <laughs> I, think uh, I might know who you're referring are, to on that one. but <laughs> uh, Not anymore. <laughs> Please stop doing that. Uh, but there's other people who do it still. Get at us in the Slack. Give us some money, patreon.com slash politicospod, and then you can have a direct access to us on the one social media we still participate in. Actually, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok mostly these days, but not doing as much politics there. We have a lot to talk about today, but in advance, I want to give a preemptive possible apology to our editor. Scott, you are living in a construction zone these days. Yeah, so uh, I happen to live in one of the few apartment buildings in Vancouver that has the subway tunnel that is being built down Broadway going literally under it. Like, not on the street beside it, or under the street beside it, but actually under the building. And the uh, second of the two tunnel board machines is right now cutting its way under my apartment. So it's quiet at the moment, but uh, there may be a lot of rumbling later on in the pod that uh, hopefully our editor can do the best to to take out. Uh, and if not, it will be a lesson for everyone not to get an apartment over top of a future subway line, like literally over top. Uh, Scott goes full numby, not under my backyard in this episode, and is now uh, actively anti-transit. You heard it here first. <laughs> You're complaining now, but like in a couple of years, you'll have a transit station outside your door. Yeah, it's going to be like two, two, three blocks away. Super convenient. It's just this week and like a month and a half ago were super annoying. Well... On today, we have a bunch of things to talk about. We're going to look at some of the first bills that are being debated in the legislature. We have a roundup of BC News and the biggest news of the week. It actually wasn't that busy of a week because the big news is dropping tomorrow. And we'll get to that right at the end. And we won't cover it until next week. But the big news is a floor crossing here in British Columbia. One that doesn't matter, but is still kind of funny and brings us back to a perennial topic of the podcast, making fun of the BC Conservatives. So, Let's dive in since I already plugged Patreon. I went through and looked at what bills have come before the legislature over the past two weeks. 
we've been promised something like 24 bills in this spring session, not like a record, but still an active legislating government. And of the government bills that have come forward, a bunch have already passed the uh, Truth and Reconciliation Day, the Miscellaneous Statutes Amendment Act, the Finance Statutes Amendment Act, and the Municipalities Enabling uh, Act have all passed their reading. They're waiting the Lieutenant Governor's signature, but none of them are that exciting. Like, creating a new stat holiday is cool, but it's a very simple law. Uh, I talked about the MISC statute amendment with Alec last week. The finance amendment deals with civil asset forfeiture, but it seems like tweaks rather than the big unexplained wealth orders that are coming later. And the Municipalities Enabling Act, um, I joked about this in the Slack because it actually removes the ability of one part of the province to increase density, which I think most of our supporters who would listen to this podcast would be very against, except this is around like an observatory in the South Okanagan. And it's something the federal government asked the province to do. So it seems pretty uncontroversial. Yeah, for the yeah, particularly if it's going to be offset with other stuff uh, elsewhere well, in the province. And, and like living on the hills where around an observatory is not really like either of our visions of an increased urbanized province i think like there's a lot of places we can build houses that are not by radio observatories uh there are three government bills that are still sitting at first or second reading are the public service labor relations amendment act this is a weird one that i'm still trying to wrap my head around it seems to deal with unionization of public sector lawyers excluding those who worked in uh, legislative drafting for some reason, and it seems like there's some drama so going. Some lawyer had to draft his own. You can't join a a union. Seemingly, bill? Uh, like <laughs> I've read it, it's not a hundred percent clear, and I've not seen much reporting on it. But it is a weird one that stands out. Uh, there's also two new bills that were introduced today: the landowner transparency amendments. It looks like some very minor tweaks to the landowner transparency uh, registry seems fine. And the Real Estate Services Amendment Act adds like one new appointment to the real estate board, which I don't know, maybe that gets up in some people's craw. But so far, none of the government bills have been like, oh, man, this is David Eby putting his stamp on the province. Like, obviously, he already passed some of those bills in the fall during his very brief time between being appointed premier and the end of session. But we're still waiting for the meat. What is kind of interesting, I think, is what the private members are bringing forward. Both the BC Greens have brought forward three bills and the BC Liberals have brought forward three bills. And a backbench NDP MLA has brought forward a bill, and we'll talk about that last. So the BC Liberal bills are from Peter Millibar uh, to reduce tax on used cars, from Katie Merrifield to uh, reintroduce the gender pay gap bill that the BC Liberals have brought forward a few times. Uh, this is one that the NDP has now said they will do, but is one that notably they haven't. Be- and it would bring greater pay transparency to tell if companies are underpaying women generally. And it's one of those things that the liberals are really good at calling the NDP out for not doing because you think they would do it. Uh, and finally, yeah, it's like still a little baffling that hasn't happened yet. Uh, yeah, very much. And finally, there's a bill from the BC Liberals to ban or eliminate discriminatory covenants on titles. And this is 
a largely symbolic one, but I think another one that is just a good idea to do. You have a number of covenants on titles. These are like restrictions on the usage of land written into the title that's in the land title registry office. And there are some that are like, no whites or Jews, or no, they only uh, whites, no Jews. They're probably okay with the former, yeah. but... Uh... And they're not enforceable because of our law of human rights and all of that stuff we have now, but they still exist on the covenant. And I've heard some people try to defend it saying, like, it's a way to recognize how discriminatory we are in the past, but I think most people are on the side of like, we can do that in a museum. Like these aren't even statues that we need to keep around. Yeah, it's a very weird idea on that's how you remember. Just nobody is going to be looking at those unless they're actually in the process of buying one of those pieces of property. Like so, most of West Van, I think. Who's it? Yeah. So yeah. And it's hard to get things off of uh title otherwise. Like my the house I'm on has two covenants. One is a right of way for the city because there's a utility line that goes against our property. That makes sense. The other one is like uh, only applied for the first 10 years after the house was built 40 years ago. And it's like your house can't look exactly like your neighbors and should have a different floor plan. Like it was just a initial like make the neighborhood a little more diverse architecturally. That doesn't apply anymore, but it's still on title. So it's like a neat historical lesson in the neighborhood, but is of no effect. So it could probably go away and save people a little bit of confusion. And at least mine's not racist, though. So yeah, I actually do hope at least those latter two BC Liberal bills go through or BC United when they eventually get around. The BC Greens bills are all from Adam Olson, because I believe the leader doesn't bring forward bills, so he pitches them all himself. Uh, first, he wants to amend some of the animal protection acts in the province to protect, quote, bear dens, which I guess are unprotected right now. Okay. Sure. Did not know that. <laughs> I'm sure like grizzly bears and certain bears are protected generally, but maybe their like, place that they go to hibernate isn't, and so this would protect that a bit better. Seems reasonable. No objection. Uh, the second is bill he brought forward is one that does uh, puts limits and restrictions on the use of solitary confinement in provincial correctional facilities. Uh, this is something I know in my work with supporting the BC Civil Liberties Association has been something we hope to see a lot more of because it gets used quite a bit and has been condemned by a lot of international human rights bodies. So very reasonable. Uh, and third, eliminate the FOI fee. Very simple, like one-line bill, remove the section of the Freedom of Information Act that allows them to charge a fee. That is going to go nowhere. No, none of... I have all of these bills. That's the one that's going to go nowhere the most. It's it's nice signaling, though, from both parties on like where they can undercut the NDP's own rhetoric, like the gender pay stuff, and also flag like where your party might do things differently or thinks is important, right? That's what the real use of a private member's bill from the opposition is because your bills aren't going to go anywhere except in the most rare circumstance. Um, and so all you can do is political signaling with it. And I think that's what's interesting here. The other bill that might go somewhere comes from Rana Ray Leonard, a BC NDP MLA from Comox Courtney, 
and she wants to declare a new provincial symbol as a provincial fossil of the Elasomosaur, which is a fossil that was discovered in her riding in Comox. Do provinces have official fossils? I mean, I guess Alberta probably does. The Albertosaurus, of, I bet. Uh, quite likely. That made sense. But, uh, like, does Saskatchewan or New Brunswick have an official fossil? The article I read defending this and celebrating it flags it as a way, like most official X, Y, or Z's uh, honorifics, as a way to draw attention to a part of our culture or history that might otherwise get missed. So you would have a provincial fossil if you have archaeological history that people don't know about. Like people probably don't know we have many dinosaur fossils in BC. Like there's some, but they tend to be more in the Alberta edge, um, like the Burgess Shale. This kind of draws attention to the fact, hey, they discovered a dinosaur fossil on Vancouver Island, which is cool in my mind. I like dinosaurs. <laughs> so Yeah, I, I've come across fossils on Vancouver Island before, but never a dinosaur. So that, that is cool. And so that's kind of what it does. And I think when I like I did at one point go back through the list of private member bills to see what had gone anywhere in this province. And I think there are one or two like this that declare some honorific, like something symbolic and trivial, and those have gone somewhere. So that's why I think this one is kind of interesting. Because even in the Victoria news piece that I'll put in the show notes, um, the Minister of Culture is endorsing it effectively and saying, hey, this would be a really cool thing to bring forward. And thanks to my colleague for bringing it forward. So it might actually pass. And that, you know, private members' bills passing is a rare, rare thing in this province. You just apparently have to be a government MP and uh, doing something symbolic and largely trivial no offense even if it is still kind of cool and even then it's no guarantee yeah that's probably hey maybe some mps or mlas will vote against it on the basis they think there should be a different animal name or different fossil named as the provincial fossil i mean she cites a poll that was run or a survey to d find out what was the top choice of provincial fossil out of seven and this one only got 48%. So it didn't win a majority. There could be a runner-up overtake it if they lobby. I don't know who the runner-up was. And that's where we sit in the legislature. They've had two weeks and they've done that and debated the throne speech. So I'm hoping we get some more substantive bills in the coming weeks. Bills like, I don't know, closing the uh, age discrimination loopholes in our strata bylaws, which allow stratas to implement 55 plus restrictions. Yeah. So we talked about this back when the strata act amendments were going through as part of the whole, you can't uh, ban rentals in strata buildings. I don't think either of us were super thrilled about it, but we kind of eh, thought it was not the worst thing, but I liked uh, it. But I didn't think it would do a ton. Yeah. Turns out there are some negative downsides of it. Uh, there's a story this week about a pregnant woman from Maple Ridge who says her strata council was planning on forcing her out after they voted to become a plus 55 complex. So 
the way it's written is basically anyone's grandfathered in who is already living there. So you can't like kick someone out uh, who's like 54 and you change the rules. They, they still get to stay. But uh, I think the problem here is more that uh, they're adding a new person to the household. That becomes the issue. Yeah. So this one's extra complicated because the strata had a 35 plus restriction up until the law changed at the end of the year. And I believe that took effect on January 1st. And so for a few weeks or months there, the strata allowed had no age restriction. And then at a council meeting or AGM, they changed it to be 55 plus. And now, but in that brief period, she bought the place because any place with an age restriction is generally discounted in price against a place that doesn't have an age restriction because there's just more buyers who can buy something that doesn't have an age restriction. And so she gets in when there's no age restriction, but she's pregnant. And so they are now, they're not kick, they're not going to kick her out. They're just going to kick her baby out if and when it comes. And she'd presumably leave with the child, <laughs> which sucks. It's pretty bullshit. I mean, age restrictions, I'm not a big fan of in general in stratus they feel they feel really hard to justify like i i get that the people who live there like it and it's nice for them yeah, to like not have kids bouncing around because they can be noisy kind of see the case for like retirement community specific mm -hmm. stratas which is where a lot of the like plus 55 stuff is but like yeah the uh particularly before when you had stuff in like the 35 range that seemed pretty indefensible Particularly for places that weren't like specifically designed as retirement communities. It is notable that the retirement age is 65 still in like pension and a lot of other things, but these restrictions will kick in at 55. And like, I know some people can't retire early, but that irks me a bit. But yeah, this is a tough one. It's notable as well that the restriction they're bringing in and this is quoted in an, a piece from last month and from uh the president of the non-for-profit housing association or sorry the ceo uh jill atke that there's probably over 100 buildings that have gone 55 plus many are seemingly doing it as a way to still try to prohibit rentals in some way but it has been noted that no, you still have to allow rentals. It's just the renter has to be 55 plus in those buildings. Which is going to be a lot less. Like The rental renter population does definitely skew younger by quite a bit. And so there's, there's an issue here. I don't know the solution in the end. Maybe we just have to settle into an area where there are a certain number of stratas that are uh, seniors focused versus ones that are generally available. Or maybe they eliminate age restrictions entirely. Uh, stratas are very weird in my mind. They, like, I, I'm thinking about this more and more in that, like, they exist as a creature of statute in the exact same way as cities do, except we give cities, like, meaning because their uh, community charter is gives them more power than a strata. But stratas have a lot of power. They're, they're over, like, effectively another level of government. Yeah. But they're not subject to the charter as far as any 
uh, litigation I know of has applied, but cities are. So like cities are kind of recognized as a form of government, but stratas aren't, but they act like it. And maybe they should be held more accountable for it. So yeah, hopefully when the uh, NDP get around to introducing a few more bills, there's one that kind of limits things here and... Yeah, like I said, I can see the argument for like retirement community specifically, but you know, if a building isn't really structured that way from the outset, there's I think a pretty decent case that there it should be a lot harder to uh just quickly convert that to a plus fifty five and at the very least there should probably be a few more hoops you go through. Mm-hmm. Well, despite the state of legislation in the legislature. There are a couple big announcements that the province have made in the past week. <clears throat> Notably, they opened up a $1 billion fund to municipalities and regional districts. Just They call it the Growing Communities Fund. It seems like David E.B. looked at the surplus they had and went, well, there's a billion dollars I don't know what to do with. Let, let the cities decide what they want and we will give it to them. Well, I mean, I'm sure he had other ideas for like healthcare alone is a, something that could uh, easily take up every little bit of spare surplus on that. Uh, but I don't think it's so much the, yeah, we have some money sitting around unexpectedly. I think it's more that uh, he's been talking up for a long time about uh, trying to help cities offset some of the costs of growth. Like that was one of the points in the only policy announcement from his leadership campaign. And like this is this is a good grant, but there it's not it's also not a lot. Like a billion is simultaneously a lot of money, but also to support infrastructure and housing and everything they talk about in this press release, because there's not really limits to what cities could apply to use it for, as long as it's growing communities. Uh it's not gonna go that far. Like there are individual projects in Metro Van that are much more than a billion dollars, and I'm not even just yes, talking the, about Skytrain. Uh, yeah, the the subway underneath me right now more than a billion dollars. Uh, this would be like one tenth of what the new Iona uh, wastewater treatment plant's gonna cost. A billion just doesn't stretch very far when you're talking about major uh, capital infrastructure works. And. Maybe it'll just go to help smaller communities that have been struggling. And so, especially with inflation, at very least, you know, good money, finding more long-term sustainable approaches to funding our cities has to be in the back of the premier's mind, I hope. the other Yeah, but like that's re- realistically, if you're going to want to have a general change in city finances, probably means granting them some sort of additional taxing power. Nobody wants to do that. Do it. Uh, The other big announcement this week from the province is that they are uh, expanding deferrals on old growth forests and also accelerating some of the recommendations from accelerating some of the recommendations from the old growth strategic review. As is hopefully apparent from past episodes in this podcast, neither of us are, strongly opinionated or knowledgeable on the forestry sector. Uh, But we note this because I get the sense it's important. And we see the number of deferrals growing from 1.7 million hectares to 2.1 
of old growth forest being protected. And it seems like this is being applauded by people who would often be cr critics, um, but I'm sure I'm missing something. You mean besides the forest for the trees? Uh, I, I think I'm also missing the trees, but... We should dedicate a future episode to forestry and bring someone on, although I have absolutely no clue who we'd bring, because it feels like everyone's very opinionated. Which isn't bad, but it just makes it hard to do a balanced show like we sometimes aim for. I'm sure we could find someone. BBC has like a forestry department, doesn't don't they? If if you know a lot about the trees, get in touch with us. Uh, let's bring this back to something we could talk about maybe a little bit more, but there's not much here. The health agreement that I touched on with Alec last week that Trudeau had pitched new funding for the next decade uh, for the provinces, uh, about $50 billion in new funding and a couple hundred billion over the whole period. Uh, the premiers have gone and said, you know what, that sounds better than nothing, so we will take it. That's all I can read from this. The headlines are premiers agree to accept it, and they're going to do one-on-one -on -one negotiations for the remaining remainder of the funding. But it really sounds like they rolled over and just went, you know what, <laughs> Trudeau's not going to give us more, so, or at least as a whole chunk. Yeah, like it's a, it's an increase over the path that there was before, but like it's not transformative by any means. But also, like the feds really hold all the cards here. You either get money or you don't. The provinces don't really have a way to force their hand unless they make it seem like the uh, government in Ottawa was being unreasonable and nobody knows the difference between 40 billion and 400 billion so like it's hard to actually make that work yeah and the analysis I saw is like Ottawa's being on the low end of reasonable and so like they could have argued but it got hard especially since there was new money on the table it's one of those situations where I guess I was going to say no one comes away happy, but I guess Trudeau comes away happy because he gets a healthcare deal that he can brag about and add to the list of accomplishments, good and bad, from his legacy. Um, but like you say, it's really disappointing not to see something transformative. And like, healthcare is not great in this country right now. And we can lay a lot of that at the premier's hands because they are directly responsible for it. But like, can the federal government also had a chance here to not fix things, but I don't know, push some transformation. And it seems like they just went, let's, let's keep things on life support for a little bit longer and let someone else deal with it. The Canadian tradition. Turning to the courts now, I don't have a good segue here, but the BC Court of Appeal has issued a ruling in an ongoing dispute around BC's civil asset forfeiture regime. This specific case dates back to uh, seizures in 2007 and 2012 of clubhouses of the Hells Angels. <laughs> Notorious sympathetic or very sympathetic plaintiff, the Hells Angels, in a situation involving like, are they actual criminals or like just accused criminals? <laughs> The the BC Court of Appeal here says, come on, they're criminals. Like, this is fine. Take their stuff. No one cares. <laughs> Whereas the BC Supreme Court had said, 
they haven't been proven criminals. And so, yeah, the Court of Appeal is saying the government can take their literal houses. Well, like clubhouses. I mean, I'm usually generally in favor of having pretty high burdens when it comes to asset forfeiture. I do find it amusing, though, that basically the the appeal court was like, come on, like, we all know what's actually going on here. Um, Neither of us have read the 300 paragraph ruling, but the CBC quotes Justice Mary Newbery's uh, unanimous ruling where she said the lower court's result was tainted including, quote, the failure to link the Hells Angels' efforts to avoid criminal detection with the club's demonstrated penchant for secrecy and, quote, preoccupation with rats and snitches. I, I, I feel like there are other organizations besides crime rings that are preoccupied with uh, rats and snitches. Some, like, cults, uh, secretive societies. But spy spy agencies. Spies, spies, yeah, there's a good choice. Although they sometimes do run afoul of laws in their own ways. I'm just using what I know about spies from James Bond right now. Uh, uh they don't actually get licenses to kill, just no, FYI. Yeah. Um the case so is Hollywood interesting isn't. though, right? As as you mentioned, we're both skeptical of the lengths that governments will go to give themselves the right to just seize stuff that they Feel or to give cops the rights to steal, seize stuff that might get used in a crime or might be connected to, or, you know, that person might have done something illegal and so we can take their car. And not being able to, not having to prove uh, beyond a reasonable doubt their guilt is something we should take seriously. And particularly as the government is looking at, and David Eby is looking at expanding. Uh, civil asset forfeiture regime in this province through things like the unexplained wealth order um, and other uh, mechanisms. You know, this kind of unanimous court ruling gives uh, more cover for that expansion. And so good news for the province on multiple fronts. Uh, it's not clear if this will be appealed. Uh, unanimous rulings are tougher to get just get the Supreme Court to pay attention to, but they have taken them up before but again one of those cases where it's probably not the most sympathetic of defendants to try to advance this for i guess you can't pick your defendants in civil liberty situations though what you can pick is members of your caucus when you're the leader of a party with no members and the BC Conservatives have their first MLA in, I think, a full decade, exactly, or within a couple months. It's got to be longer than that. Uh, when was the last time someone... John Cummins was in the legislature as a BC Conservative from 2011 to the 2013 election, I believe. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, about a decade. Uh, and their new MLA is John Rustad. Rustad... It was elected as a BC Liberal first in 2005 and was re-elected repeatedly. In 2017, he got 54%. In 2020, he got 20, uh, 52%. In neither of those elections did he face a conservative challenger, not that the conservatives were running very strong campaigns. Um, in 2020, the Christian Heritage Libertarian and an independent I know nothing about all got 4 to 5%, although 
in Nechaco Lakes, there was no green candidate. So it tells you how strongly people feel his or how competitive his riding is. Uh, the last time a conservative ran there was in 2013. That was like their high watermark year and they got 13%. So like there were the conservatives strength in the province right now is Peace River North and South where they were where they beat the NDP just because they were such runaway races and the NDP doesn't really compete well in that corner of the province. But, you know, Rustad, it, it's better to have an MLA than to not. Uh, Rustad's been sitting as an independent for a little while. He was booted from the BC Liberal Caucus by Kevin Falcon last year for uh, comments on social media where he questioned whether carbon dioxide was actually causing climate change which was like the straw that broke the camel's back of like idiot things John Rustad has said. Uh, conservative leader Trevor Bolin was asked by the CBC about whether he has concerns about his social media comments, and Bolin said he's reviewed them, and he welcomes a difference of opinions. Quote, he had questions that he wanted answered, and the party at the time didn't answer them, and here we are. Kind of feel like it's not Kevin Falcon's job to explain atmospheric sciences to his caucus. And he he posts it on Facebook. Like, if he wants his questions answered by the party, shouldn't he be answering them internally? Uh, anyway, like this pro this prompted me to go look at the Conservative Party of BC's website to see what their position on climate change is. Um, they do have a platform up right now. It's called a Common Sense Plan for All British Columbians. Uh, the third section in there is Energy and the Environment, which has three planks. Number one, scrap the carbon tax. Number two, expand LNG. And number three, get pipelines built. So I think that says a lot in what it doesn't say. It does say that the carbon tax has no impact on global emissions. I mean, the, the relevant factor is the Canadian emissions, just that's where the carbon tax is being applied. And it does have an effect, but... Yeah, the... This is... A hell of a platform they've put together here. If you spend too much time on, like, I don't know, MAGA Twitter or whatever, reading Rebel News, you'll see a lot you like here. Um, you know, they're going to remove ideology from the classroom. Actually, the one thing that is fascinating here is they would introduce quote special density zones to allow the provincial government to supersede local councils and streamline production of new housing where they are most needed okay so like the ndp's thing kind of like a little different but uh you know. this seems like they would just remove the authority of cities in certain i don't i'm not clear how big of a big a density zone is it in my mind it could either be like a few blocks to the lower mainland it's really unclear, but they would just like remove land use policy. From yeah, the actually, cities. it could just be like the cities, like the major southern cities, are the ones that uh, that get it. I uh, yeah, I've I've met a couple rural conservatives that are kind of uh, pretty yimby in the sense that uh, they want the cities to just grow and take all the people, so they don't have to deal with suburbia encroaching on the rural areas oh i thought it was an anti-immigrant thing of just like let the no, cities it, have all the brown like, people 
no, it's a like I like my rural lifestyle. I'm not a suburbanite, and the the cities want uh, the city should grow and take the new people. Which, I mean, it's a little hard to argue with that. There's, it made some a fair bit of sense. Although uh, eventually, like all all communities need young people, and the birth rate is not quite enough in Canada, in most areas, to repopulate so you you're gonna need some new people or you will have a ghost town within a generation uh speaking of construction though the conservative party of bc i do want to mention and give a shout out they put up a new website last summer we totally missed it uh we went through and mocked their website a couple years ago because it was god awful it was hilarious to look at um uh that might be underselling it a little like it was truly the worst party website i've ever seen and it is it is better now. It is navigable. It is like a nation Someone builder template. Nation builder. Fine. It works. What I do find amusing is in the August 17th news post celebrating a brand new a new brand and website, they show the logo and it is scaled to the full width but is a fixed height. So uh it's it looks very stretched out. And as you change the width of the paid browser, uh, it's it's okay if it's as narrow as your browser can go, at least on my screen. Uh, but once you go to like a normal size as you do on the desktop, the logo is very stretched. And it and we've both used Nation Builder. We know that takes effort to fuck up that like that. And so shout out to the people doing their website who still can't do a website. Well, and let's jump over to quick takes for just some like super quick takes this will be a nice short episode uh the big news nationally is obviously tomorrow the emergency act inquiry releases its report so probably by the time you're listening to this uh but as of recording is that RCMP commissioner Brenda Lucky is going to be retiring she her 5 year term is coming up and it was unclear whether she would apply or be reappointed to the job it's been a rocky few years to say the least but uh she's decided to read the tea leaves and get the fuck out good i mean i i can't think of an rcmp commissioner who anywhere near this instead like every time they got mentioned it was because something was screwed up under their watch and and almost always like related to their leadership specifically yeah there was the moment uh following the george floyd protests when people asked her do you think systemic racism affects the rcmp in canada and she said no we're not a racist institution uh which she later backtracked a little bit <sighs> uh, hey there's also like the allegations around interfering in the uh nova scotia mass shooting uh investigation uh for political reasons there's ongoing scandals around uh just the RCMP being a toxic workplace, both for people of color and for women, uh, and just up and down in a number of different ways, and that hasn't been dealt with. There's the whole emergency act yeah. problems around there, which I mean, I don't necessarily want to read the tea leaves as those being connected, but I'm going to guess the report is not going to be super favorable to her. So, uh, goodbye, Brenda. Um, I like it's a tough job I imagine to be the head of the RCMP especially in the current era and 
but even so like that was not handled well no no uh it's gonna take someone i don't even know what the government needs to find in the next appointee but that institution needs a lot of reform and like right now you have alberta and bc both looking at cutting rcmp contracts for ironically opposite but the same reasons uh i don't know how serious either province will be about it if the alberta ndp wins they may just keep the rcmp but like bc's reform act said let's get rid of the rcmp and that was a unanimous uh, all party consensus as like the first recommendation and not the at the uh committee yeah the committee my apologies so like if the feds want to still be involved in policing and the two largest provinces where they are because ontario and quebec already have their own police forces they need to clean up their act yeah i i think it would probably be better for the provinces to just take on policing which a is a provincial responsibility anyway um and B, like, you do need a national police service of some kind to deal with, like, important national stuff, like national security cases, uh, counterintelligence. Um, a lot of that is CSIS because the previous... Money laundering. Uh, like, there's, like, yeah. federal law enforcement is a thing that most federations have. I mean, I think, I can't think of one that doesn't, but, you know, I've got an encyclopedic knowledge every federation on the planet's police structures, but like it's generally an important role and, and there are generally a federal police force of some kind. Um, they often don't do like traffic enforcement in like small towns uh, as well. And like it's that dual mandate has caused a lot of problems. So it would be good to actually just focus a national police force on the national stuff and, let the provinces do their own policing. That would take a federal government committed to large-scale police reform as well. And right now, I don't think they want to because it's an utter mess. Like the RCMP has only made reforms when faced with like royal commissions that point out what a mess of an institution it is. And that's why CSIS exists now because, you know, 30, 40 years ago or whenever it was, a commission came out and said, hey, the people being traffic cops in much of the country shouldn't also be spies. Yeah, that's that was weird. A, we a weird thing that there was. And yeah, like the military they, set up JTF2 <laughs> out of the RCMP for somewhat similar reasons and or took over that kind of counter-terror yeah. responsibility for similar reasons. So They didn't recruit out of it. Yeah, yeah. The, it, it turns out the paramilitary force that was created in the 19th century to like settle the west uh is not perfectly fit for purposes in the 21st century and so unsurprisingly uh the person tasked with managing it struggled um but yeah like we said seemed to do bad even amidst that difficulty so i don't know maybe there are brenda lucky defenders out there um I'm not aware of any. <laughs> Probably not even within the RCMP, because like I am maybe Brenda Lucky's office, yeah. but like that's probably about yeah. it. Anyway, we'll talk next week when we get to break down the Emergencies Act inquiry. And that has been Playtoast. Find links to everything we talked about at playtoast.ca. 
Support the show and get access to our Slack channel at patreon.com slash Our intro music credit is Beautiful British Columbia by Serge Potnikoff. Playtoast is a production of Legend Boot Media, and editing services are provided by CHLY 101.7 FM in Nanaimo. Thanks for listening.